all down like in a, in a conductress giving tickets. Strike half of you know that, you old. <laughs> no wonder they have this in the afternoon. It takes that long to get up in the morning. <clears throat> well, I normally say, and I won't say it this time, but I normally say it's good to be here, but at my age it's good to be anywhere. So uh, that's a great compliment for you, that is, isn't it? Now I have great times with Rob, and it's really good to be with him and his family. And, um, hmm. <clears throat> Ricky, who's here today, Ricky is part of our church and he's part of the Order of St. Leonard. And he's a community police officer, but he's also a community brother, which means that when he's doing his policing and he's doing that, he interrelates with all the churches in Alton. Uh, Roman Catholics, Jews, they all ask him to go and take part. So the Jews ask him to go and take part in all their ceremonies, which is quite incredible. Uh, the Catholics do, and he's officially a Protestant. And the Protestants do, and he doesn't know what he is. And so he used to pastor a church many years ago and gave that up and came and joined us with his family. And he epitomizes everything that the Order of St. Leonard is, which is bringing unity amongst the churches. So he came today to, to be part of what you're doing here, to bring a bit of unity amongst us, not knowing I was here, and I caught him hiding under the pew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. He's great. <clears throat> In Romans 8.37, it's a well-known scripture. <clears throat> Paul lists everything that he's been through. Now the beauty of us mixing with all the different denominations, because I'm a leader in three, and recognised by 20 more, is that everyone has a flavour of truth, but not exclusively. Or they have a way of interpreting indifferently. <clears throat> and so I come <clears throat> traditionally from an evangelical Pentecostal background. <clears throat> I've preached in the faith church. <clears throat> I've preached right the way through. And now accepted by the Anglicans, the Catholics and various others, and was very dismissive of everybody else until I realised by looking at them, if they've been going a thousand odd years, they can't be completely wrong. I was in Bulgaria with the Orthodox Church that's been going 1,040 years, and who knows, I don't know of a charismatic church that's existed that long. So they must be doing something right. Now in the charismatic faith element of the Christian Church, they preach the truth of prosperity. Sometimes, because it's maybe one of their only teachings, they're a bit excessive on it. But they teach that we are born to be prosperous. And those of us who think they're excessive say, oh no, we're not. And the answer is, oh yes, we were. I would that you prosper as your soul prospers. God didn't create us for us to be destroyed. Create us to be blessed. But sometimes, because there's a lack, there's always an excess that helps bring you back. Um, and of course what happens is a lot of our doctrine and a lot of our theology is fashioned by the society we live in. Thank you. Well done, I spotted the fear on your face then. <clears throat> I thought, is that my preaching? He thought, no, is that? I thought, it's only conviction already. Um, but a lot of our doctrine is fashioned by our culture. So if you come from a Western nation which is fairly prosperous and uh, we seem to be very blessed, it's natural to interpret the gospel that if you come to Christ, uh, you'll be very successful, very prosperous, never sick. I mean, there's truth in that because we have a healing ministry. Uh, you'll have a lovely house, lovely car, lovely swimming pool, and you'll have a wife who looks at least 10 years younger than you really are. 
That's by faith, by the way. <laughs> Either that or trying to find another one. Um, and so you tend to in, instill that into your doctrine. And if you come from a very poor country where you haven't got anything, and to be a Christian they beat you to death, your theology is that you will die for your faith. And both are true, but not, but not to the exception of the other. Hebrews 11, which is a very, very, very well-known scripture to many Christians, it says, by faith Abraham, by faith, by faith, by faith Noah, by faith, by faith. And a lot of preachers really major on it and say, by faith, look what happened. But then they stop halfway through the chapter. And I can honestly say, I cannot remember ever hearing a preacher preach on the second part of Hebrews 11. He says, but others did not receive their husbands back from the dead. They wandered in the wilderness naked, deranged. They chose a better resurrection. They were sworn in two. And so here we have complete dichotomy. We see a complete opposition of those who had everything they asked for, everything they named, they claimed, and it worked. On the other side, it went wrong, apparently. When I was in football, I used to have a sign over my door, and it said this, Smile, things could get worse. So I did smile. And behold, they did get worse. (laughs) That's in case they thought, you know, coming to see me, it couldn't get any worse. It could. And so it's balancing this type of theology. Now, when God called Paul, it was an incredible experience. He's coming along, Saul, breathing out threats against the church of God, God intervenes and takes him off his horse, blinds him, which is a wonderful way to get born again, isn't it? You know, I went into, went, went into Jubilee on Sunday afternoon, I could see, by five o'clock I was blind as a bat. I mean, well, come and bring my friends, I really love that experience. So now he's lying on the floor, in the dirt, blind, and then God calls Ananias, who's been praying there'll be revival, to go and see this man, and Ananias, like a lot of the Christians do, when we pray a prayer and it comes true, we don't want it. He said, get a life, don't you know who this man is? What a stupid thing to say to God. Have you ever said that? Don't you know what's going on here, God? I mean, can't you see what's going on? The answer is, of course he can. But we act as if he can't, or if for some reason he's lost his senses. Don't you understand this man's threatening again? Blah, 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 blah. He said, go tell him I have need of him. I want to say this to you at this point. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how much you've been in opposition to God. God has a need of you. And I think that's the biggest miracle, because God doesn't need any of us. Go tell him I have need of him. And I, I, that encourages me, because my background, as many of you know, was, was very, very dyslexic and very dysfunctional, and very, today, would be on the spectrum of, of every, every sort of autistic thing you could find. And so I was a lock-in for many years. Um, and for me to find out that God had need of me was a miracle. How could, he, how could he have need of an 18-year-old who couldn't read and write, who'd got five major phobias? Why would God need me? He'd pick, he'd pick you. You know, the only person in the school never never allowed to do GCSEs because the, the head said it would waste paper because I could only put my name. So go and have two, go and have a week off. Go and have two weeks off. I was the only one in school history never to take any exams. So why would God need me? Why would God need a man spitting out threats and throwing people in prison and beating women and children? What would God need him for? He's in the dirt. Who are you, Lord? Isn't it funny? He doesn't know God, but he knows it's God. Isn't it strange that when people come in as atheists, they don't know it's God until God speaks to them, then they know it's God. It's hard to explain God to somebody who's never met him. 
But if we give them an opportunity to meet him, God can speak for himself. Good way to witness that. Uh, excuse me, I've just come to introduce you to him. After you, God, speak to him. Speaks to him. Then we do our bit. So now God says, Ananias, go tell him there's need of him, but don't tell him anything else, I'll tell him that. So he's had bad news, good news, now bad news. Who knows life is like that? <coughs> Here's the good news. I have need of you. Wow. One, two, three. Wow. That's, what he, that's as enthusiastic as our church back home, that is. You sure you're not renewal? We'll try one, two, three. Wow. Now don't go over the top. <laughs> Trouble is, it's too excessive, this church. So <coughs> now God comes along and says, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to die. He didn't tell a new Christian that shortly. But God did. Because God had purpose for him. And the passion that wanted him to kill other people was the same passion that was prepared to die. And even when a prophet came and prophesied over him and told him not to die, he stopped him and said, excuse me, that's what you're saying. God says, I've got to die. And went to Rome, had his head chopped off, not crucified, because Romans do not crucify Romans. And Paul was a Roman, so they wouldn't crucify him, they beheaded him. Shows how bad crucifixion was. Doesn't matter how bad you were as a Roman, you weren't crucified. So now he says, all the things that come against us in our life. He talks about height and depth, things of our past. So many Christians can't get rid of the past. They, they never advance because they can't get rid of their past. Not past, not present, not things to come. Oh my God, what's going to happen next week? What happens if I'm made redundant? That's a sensible question. What happens if this happens? What happens if my kid does that? What happens if my wife runs off? What happens if... All sensible questions, but we're fearful of something that's not yet happened. We're fearful of something that has happened. <clears throat> and so we're paralyzed where it must happen. Our present is conditioned by our past and our perception of the future. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, which means he can step into our past. I'm the same now, so he can meet us in our present. And I'm the same in the future, we can trust him with it. But Paul turns around and says, I'm telling you that in a Christian's life, all these things can happen. Height, depth, this, that, bang, 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 bang. But then he says this, yet, in all these things, not because of them. You know, there's been some books written over the years which I've endorsed and others I can't cope with. There was one, Pigs in the Parlour, I told people, rip that up. From prison to praise, I never never allowed that on my bookshelves. Because there was a teaching that said, when all these big, bad things happen to you, thank God for them. That, that's masochism. If you go out there and get knocked over by a bus, the only thing you can thank God for is a single-decker, not a double-decker. The double-decker was heavier, if you didn't know. Now, you don't thank God when you've got cancer. You don't thank God if your wife leaves you. You don't thank God if you've been made redundant. That's masochism. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you're teaching me something. That's stupid. You thank God in it, not for it. Why would you want to thank God for when things go wrong? I buried, a, I buried a stillborn last Thursday. A couple in our church, stillborn. Did I say, thank God for the stillborn? No. I said, I can't tell you why God allowed that baby to die seven months before birth. There's no answer to it. I can't give you the answer. So I'm not even going to try it. All I'm going to say is, in this, you can be more than a conqueror. But don't try and explain what we can't explain. Christians do lose babies. Christians do get cancer. Christians are healed, some don't. Some of the nicest people I've prayed for, God-loving, have died, and some of the biggest heathens have got healed. 
We get Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims get healed in our church. Never become Christians. It's God's grace. Can't answer it. And we have some godly, full of faith people die. But at least the people full of faith who die know where they're going. Because we're in a day now where to go to heaven is a, is, is a nice thought in the future, but an interruption in the present, where in our history, our ancestors spent all their life looking forward to heaven because there wasn't much on earth. We've got that much on earth now, we turn around and say, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth if that's all right with you. So we know this. If we're going to make it as churches in Solihull, we know if we're going to grow as fellowships, we're not immune. Because Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. We're in the world. But, I love the buts, be of good courage, I've overcome it. Didn't say I'll exclude you from it. Because Paul said, in these things. Now what surprised me when I read this, he said, in these things you're more than a conqueror. You're more than. And I thought, well, what's the more than? Because some of us struggle to be conquerors. We, we have a, tire, a problem conquering against our, our bad self-esteem, about our past, about our present, about our future, about certain habits in our life. And here's Paul saying, you do realise you can be a conqueror, don't you? But I've got news for you, there's more. So Paul said, actually in the midst of all this bad hair day, I'll tell you this, when you think you've got a bad hair day, there's many bald men who'd love to have a bad hair day. (laughs) Think about it. They can't have a bad hair day. They ain't got any. So there's always somebody worse off than yourself, isn't there, lad? In all this, we're more than a conqueror. So what's a more than? I said, you know, you're either a moron or a more than. A moron doesn't understand anything and a more than has achieved everything. So we have a choice, don't we? If I was to ask you to go through your life, we'd rightly get some quite surprising things. Some have battled even to survive the process of birth. Many people I speak who said, they said I should have died in my mother's womb. It's a miracle I'm here. So, oh, hang on, that was a battle. Even before, when you were in your mother's womb, you were battling to survive. Some children are born pre-birth, one and a half pound, two pounds, and it takes them years, some of them, to ever get back to normal health because they have lung deficiency or this deficiency because they were born before they should have been. So they carry the scars in their body for many years and some all through their life because they're prem-born. Shorter than everybody else, this and everything else. Suspect to this disease and that disease because you're supposed to be in your mother's womb nine months, not seven months. So medicine might keep you alive, but you've still got to try and catch up on natural growth. So some of you have had problems right from birth. <clears throat> you had problems in childhood, <clears throat> in your youth years. <clears throat> the problem of transferal to adulthood. So many young people can't cope with, 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 with the big leap that goes from adolescence to adulthood. Some never, never get there. I prayed for a woman this morning, lovely married girl, and as I prayed for her, physically in front of me, she became a little child again. I've had to bring her in there to talk to her because something happened in her childhood that means her body has become a woman, but emotionally she's still a kid. I've got to find out what it is that's wrecking it because she's married now and her husband can't can't go around married to an eight-year-old girl. There's many things that that can conspire to attack our well-being, isn't there? Yet the environment must play a part in the fashioning of our concepts of life. Our culture often determines the way we perceive issues and situations or lack of them. 
But where there's no real family identity, there's an emotional gap within the cognitive perception of the individual. Marcus Garvey, who was the political leader, died in 1940, he said this, he was a black human rights man, he said, a people without the knowledge of their past history and origin and culture are like a tree without roots. If we don't know where we come from, my wife, her dad was a bigamist and ran off and she never, she never knew anything about her dad and she didn't know, she had a brother who was six weeks old who was stolen by him and didn't meet a brother who was 45 who were with him this, this Thursday. She never met a brother for 45 years. He was a Roman Catholic staff sergeant in the army and she was a Protestant pastor's wife in Birmingham. Our past does affect our present and sometimes limits us to our future. It would be true, however, that even through culture and environment play our part in our development, it's people who often affect us. Most people leave churches not because of bad doctrine, but because of a bad episode. Somebody offends them, upsets them. And even though some of us could be mature Christians, we get offended just like everybody else. Paul said this in Galatians 5, verse 7. You ran well. What hindered you? No, never said that. Who? Who upset you? See, we were made not to be on our own. We were made, it's not good to be on our own. Now, God didn't say that Adam was lonely because he wasn't. He met with God every day. How can you be lonely? So you can live on your own and not be lonely. He just said it's not good for us to be in isolation. That's why single people need to belong to a church. They need to be into a connect group. They need each other because it's not good to be alone. He never said it's not good to be lonely. I know all of us at some time want to be on our own. We need the space. And sometimes we go, wow, it was great. I had a day on my own and it was beautiful. You know, thank God I didn't have to shop with my wife. You know, oh, no, those days are over. I started shopping since she had the illness. I started shopping. I've got a Sainsbury's trolley of my own now. I'm a Sainsbury person every Saturday. But he said, you ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? And if we're going to go anywhere as Christians and we're going to get anywhere as a church, we've got to obey the truth. Because when we obey the truth, it's because we know the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. Now, what I love about all the different translations in the Bible, which can cause us confusion, they often use different words that give us a, a wider emphasis. So let me just look at this. You ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? NIV says this. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. Who cut you up? Ever driven and somebody cut you up? What's the first reaction as a Christian? Bless you. Yeah. The two fingers, thank goodness, are that way, aren't they? I trust they're no other way. Or you do need counselling. The New Living Translation said, who held you back from following? So one cuts you up and the other one pulls you back. Oi, come here. Have anybody ever grabbed you and pulled you back? Have you felt somebody pulled you back at school, pulled you back at work? Maybe your family pulled you back? The Aramaic Bible says, who agitated you to disobey? Who wound you up? Who pulled your plug? Who made a fool out of you by getting you to shoot somebody else's bullets? 
I got the blame because I happened to say, and the person who told it me never said a thing. So I got the blame for it. Hello? God's word says, who stops you from being influenced by the truth? Who was a bad influence on you? You say that when we've got kids, I don't you flame with him. Why is it a bad influence? So who was it that we mixed with who was a bad influence and it stopped us being where God wants us to be? Paul's getting it right this time, isn't he? The Weymouth translation said this, who interfered and caused you to swerve from the truth? Wow. Swerve. That means if you hadn't, you'd have collided. Who's detoured you? So these slightly differing interpretations, I believe, have a story to tell amongst us today. So let's think on it. Who cut in on us? They thoughtlessly or intentionally pushed in front of our desire and God-planned destiny and they cut us up. Held us back. Either by physically or emotionally dragging their feet or not wanting us to be free of their negative influences. Agitated. Became the negative voice, always complaining, stirring up dissatisfaction. Stopped you. Openly and unashamedly opposed the journey of truth and righteousness you were taking as a church. Interfered. None of their business. Interfered. They never know when it's not their business. They cause confusion and confrontation. We often can trace many of our wrong decisions on the people who we associated with or admired. Paul understood that there are numerous things that seek to hinder humanity from discovering their true and fulfilling life in Christ. We have to fight the very issue of sin. Yes, sin. This dramatic word is simply the middle letter I. It's the I factor. It's that decision as to who will we submit to. Paul needed to conquer this self-centered obsession. The truth is we are all addicted to sin, for all have sinned and come short to the glory of God. And so to be a conqueror, it simply is this, we have to die to the I issue. Now as I put on, on, on my Twitter this morning, having an iPhone and an iPad and an iPod and Facebook is very useful when you're in the ministry, but it should never replace, replace I, God and face to Facebook. You can have every I you like, but if you haven't got I, God, but Paul says it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So we become a conqueror, not when we become a zombie, but when we die to the drivenness of I, because somebody said a cross is only I crossed out. So we become a conqueror when we die to the I. Well, what's in it for me? I have my rights. Aren't I entitled to speak? And the answer is yes, because you are. I, 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 I. But there comes a time when you have to submit the I to the he, and the he brings me back. So I die daily, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ in me. If we could learn this, and the preachers included, we would have such a security and a depth that people coming in and joining us wouldn't want to leave us because they would want to be what we are. Is this all right, Pastor? Many of us here today know that unless we had Jesus Christ in a real way, 
we would possibly be dead physically, mentally, sexually, morally, financially, academically, socially, we'd already be dead. So we'd call it biblically affliction, tribulation, calamity, distress, or the thought of living, angels, the occult, the past, present, future, no height, if you suffer from vertigo, depth, if you suffer from claustrophobia, or width, if you suffer from agoraphobia. Yet we hear Paul saying, in the midst of these things, you're more than a conqueror. All right, my son. You're more than... I'm going to have a sit down, would you? It's a good boy. Is there a toilet here? Yeah. Well, we'll sort you out, lad. Well done. Somebody will take you. Good lad. I'll give you a cup of tea at the end. And, um... <coughs> see, that's how we change people like this, isn't it? By being more than conquerors. By being more than a conqueror. Because unless we are secure in who we are, how can we deal with a guy like that? And the answer is we can't. Because we get put off by him, upset about him, embarrassed about him. And what we've got to do is not let him run riot, but people like that have come in, we've got to be in control of them because we're in control of ourselves. So we're more than conquerors. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to conquer? To conquer means to gain a decisive victory. If I conquer something, I, I make a decisive victory. It's not a case of, Phew, we just got there by the sweat of our brow. To conquer means, no issue, I've won. And we've got to face these things in our life that so easily come back and we say, that's just the way I am, it's the way I was born. Stop saying that, because when you say it's the way I was born, it's how I am, you are denying the power of the cross. Because... When you come to the power of cross, you are reborn. So it's nothing to do with the way you are and the way you wear. It's the way you're going to be. I'm a living example of that. If I was as I was born, you would never even know my name and I wouldn't be here today because I'd be the blithering idiot. Because the school I came from in my class, everybody else was either totally unemployed or in prison. I was the only one in my class that made it. Because I was with, as the world would say, the scum of the earth. So if I'd have been saying, I can't read, I can't write, nobody loves me, I feel unloved, I'm frightened of the dark and of people and of animals, and if I'd have said all that, I'd have been oblivious it all my life. But I had to come to the point where, no, that is no longer me, because I have been reborn. I'm a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in God's grace I stand. It means to overcome an enemy. You've got to realise that the things that try to stop us are not our friends. It's an enemy. If there's anything in my life that's stopping me being where I want to be, it can't be a friend. If God wants this church to prosper, and it does, and God wants this to reach the lost, and it will, anything that stops that is an enemy, even if it appears to be a friend. Peter, was he an enemy of God? No. Don't go to the cross. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a nasty thing to say to a friend. Peter was being nice, didn't want him to die. That's the enemy of the truth. The truth is I must die. Paul, whoever this belt belongs to will go to Rome. That's true and will die. Don't go. Stop it. I must go. Now who knows, if you can have your head chopped off, wouldn't you love to get a word saying you don't have to do it? But he'd known he'd got to go. So you must test every prophetic word over your life. Because sometimes it's the one you're just waiting for that will stop you doing what you know you should have done, but you thought this was the escape clause. 
Oh, Cynthia said to me last week, I don't have to now go and live in China. Praise God. But God told you last week you do. So why would Cynthia criticise God? Be very careful. Test every gift. She may not have done it deliberately wrong, but she put her own thought on, oh, don't go to China. Hello? There we are. Almost finished. So then he says this. It's an overwhelming victory over those things that so easily beset us. Now, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, casting down arguments, oh, hang on, we've got to do something here, it's not just a prayer, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to do something. We have to cast it down and we have to bring it into captivity. We have to grab it and go, oi, come here, you. Come here, stop it. Get down there. We are in control. I'll give you an illustration. Remind me to give you the illustration before I finish in a minute. It's then, once we've done that, that we progress to more experience. Paul didn't say we are conquerors, and that would be wonderful if we could do that as Christians. We would be satisfied, many of us, if we could say we've overcome. We have possession of our compulsions. We can control our weaknesses now. We have become conquerors, amen. And let us not belittle that great achievement. Well done. Yet Paul said we are more than conquerors. So what can be more than? More than is in excess of. So when we conquer, we subdue by force, we win a battle, yet there is more available. You see, after the battle, there is peace. So the fact is, are we battling? Are we winning a battle? Or are we living in the peace of God? When Jesus left, it was a gift. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So as a church, God wants us to battle, wants us to win, be more than a conqueror, and then he wants us, what's the more than? To live in the peace of God. So we're at ease. We're not striving all the time. We're not being driven all... I'm tired. Well, I've got a new guy on the team now that's taken a lot of work off me, so I've cut my work down now from 70, 75 hours a week to 60. I feel I've retired. (laughs) Not because I'm a workaholic, but because God's given me the power and the energy to do this. See, the ministry to me is not what I get paid for. It's part of my life. I just love it. I love being with people. So on my day off, I go to the hospitals, solely all heartlands and good hope, and I'm a chaplain. So on my day off, I'm dealing with the dying and the sick, and I love it because I walk amongst them. Why? Because what God's given me is more than. Not... Oh, I'm tired. I'd like to help you give the leaflets out, but I'm tired. Now, we are genuinely tired if we work like mad and we're ill. But most of us, if we were in the world, we were spending four nights a week playing snooker, three weeks, three nights we've been doing this. I play bowls for the county, and guys play five nights a week. They find the time to do that. They find time to go out drinking. They find time to play football and snooker. And some Christians are tired. It's because they haven't got the victory and they're not living in the more than. Paul says, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me because after the battle there's the more than. There's the peace. The passes human understanding. My peace I give with you, not as the world. The world's peace is absence from conflict. It's a negative. 
There is no conflict anymore. I'm at peace with that man. No, no. God's peace is a positive. It is actually tangible. It's full of something. You know, in that worship tonight, did you feel it? Anybody? Hello? Anybody going to speak to me now? Anybody still alive? Anybody not passed away since I started? Could anybody here feel that peace? Yeah. Now, that's not just a glimpse in the middle of the music. That's an experience in the middle of turmoil. So when all the disciples are panicking in the boat, he's asleep. My God. What are you trying to teach me, God? And that is, in the middle of the storm, he's still the captain. Now, you don't need to believe it till you need to believe it. And when you need to believe it, it's when you should have received it. And I can't say that again if you're right in your love, because I can't remember that one. But I believe as a church, because I'm only teaching what I teach my church, that it's not enough for us to spend all our life battling. There are some battles in our life we've got to win. So let me give that illustration before we close and have some of your birthday cake. It's the only reason I've come. Um, (laughs) As we don't have little children here, I can give you a proper (coughs) grown-up illustration. Sadly, since I've been in the ministry 40 years, most of my friends and ministers who are not in the ministry now, some have gone because they, they, they lost heart, some because they're incompetent, but most because who hindered them was a woman. It's true to say most of my friends now have all gone because of adultery. I mean, Mark Stibby went the other month. Why? So the two battles we, the two main battles we have to battle against in our life is self-preservation and self-reproduction. When you lose the desire to stay alive, you're a danger. Would you drive with a man who doesn't care if he lives or dies? Would you, if the pilot said to you, hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm your pilot for today, I'm, feel, I'm so upset I could just kill myself. You'd all go, <laughs> you'd run screaming at the plane, wouldn't you? What? He wants to kill himself! And especially if he spoke in a Japanese accent and said his father used to be a kamikaze pilot. (laughs) You wouldn't, would you? You don't want to be with somebody who wants to die because they may well take you with them. So that's the one danger we have in our life. That's why when we get near a height, we we back off. That's why we don't go so fast because there's a self-preservation inside all of us. Now also there's a self-reproduction. Or, the, or society would, would die off. People don't turn around and go, I suppose sometime in our marriage we'd better create a baby. Okay, right. Or maybe three years' time, uh, Thursday, are you okay? Two o'clock, yes, okay, fine. <laughs> now, some people have to do that, you know, if they're having a fer- fer- fertility treatment, but most people, it's something that comes quite natural because there is a burning with side, which Paul says, if you can't control it, get married. Hello, grown-up people. So how is it that Paul conquered that in his life? And Jesus. Paul said, I die daily. Now what does that mean in real terms? I'm giving this illustration because it wipes out so many people. If Paul hadn't died daily, this is what would have happened. Day one. Met this young lady. Chatted with her. Nice conversation. Mm. Day two. Do you know we've got a lot in common? We seem to be able to talk to each other easily, more easily. Imagine if Paul was married. 
In fact, actually, I can speak to him more than I can speak to my own wife. Ding, ling, 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 ling. Day three. I didn't realise she was so intelligent we got that much in common. I look forward to speaking to her. Day four. I wouldn't say she was ravingly attractive, but there's, there's a beauty about her, and she's great to be with, and she's, she's really fun. You know, I, I find her quite attractive. Day five. It wouldn't happen, but if my wife died, I could marry somebody like that. Because we've got so much in common. Day six is dreaming what he'd be doing with her, and day seven is doing it. Paul says, I die every day. So day one is just the conversation. (laughs) Now apply that to anything else in your life. Wrongful ambition, pornography, misuse of money, alcohol. Apply that to every one of those. You live in day one. You never go to day two. If you leave it till you get to day four, you're hooked. Day five, you're in fantasy. Day six, it's only a matter of time. Day seven, you're in condemnation. Regardless of what it is, be it addiction to shopping, spending money, You've got to get to day one. That puts you in victory. That makes you a conqueror. And once you've done that, Paul, and we're more and we're conqueror, then God kicks in the more. It could be something in spiritual ambition. I want to be an elder. It's good to be an elder, but you're, you're striving to be an elder. You're striving to do this. You're doing everything to be noticed. Well, die to it. When you die to what you want, God can give you what he wants, which may not be what you want, but it may be better than you wanted. Because God sometimes God says to you, just tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Just tell me what you want. <laughs> and then we say, then I'll tell you what you want, what I really, really want. It's as simple as that. So the message today was this. God wants us to be conquerors. Don't let anybody stop you being one by causing you to swerve, being held back, cut you up, wind you up, Get you to shoot bullets. Don't throw your future away because of somebody else. What they said about you in the past as a church, what they'll say about you in the present, and what they'll say about you in the future. Nobody likes those words. Don't let it affect you. Or all you do is, you spend all your time trying to justify what they're saying and not carrying on by what you should be doing. If you've got to justify what they're saying, they may have something right to say. So who's hindering you? Deal with it. Come and be a conqueror. If your name's William, it'll come quite natural. (laughs) And then, move into the more than. Say with me, I want want to be be a more than. And that's to live in the peace of God that passeth human understanding. And that peace can translate itself into anything we do and everything we are. I'm 67 and God's had to teach me that. It is well. Final word. How can a man who lost a, a boy when he was six 
lost all his money through the Chicago crash. Lost all his properties in the Chicago fire. My God, he must have killed a few cats, this man. Then sends his wife and daughters on a boat over to Europe to start again until he finds his four daughters are drowned and his wife survives and she sends him a telegram saying, it is well with my soul. He goes across on a boat and it stops where his daughter's drowned and looks into the water and he writes down, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is now to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buff it, oh, we can say that again, and trials may come. May this blessed assurance. Hello? So he goes to South Africa, starts again, has three kids and one dies again. He had six kids die. He lost all his business and all his properties were burnt down. Yet, he was more than a conqueror. It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's stand. Well, God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Jubilee. Thank you for my good friend Rob. And that you want to build a congregation of more than conquerors. I pray over each person here that may be having a conquering issue. Who may have a who. Who past, present or looks like in the future may well cause them to swerve from their path. No way. I pray that they will go from this place learning to die every day to those things that so easily beset them. So that they can say in this new year, we are conquerors through Christ. And so when people come in here with addictions, you can say, I'm a conqueror, you can be a conqueror. And people come here with life-threatening lifestyles that have caused them to drop out of the community. To say, you can come back into the community because you can be a conqueror over that disappointment. And then, to hear testimonies, I have become a more than. I am part of the more than brotherhood. Not more man, that's next door. More than. More than. And I'll tell you this, Miracles will break out in your midst. Because God is looking for the more than generation. And the people said...